Well, we're going to go ahead and dismiss CIA at this time. Thank you guys for serving in there. All the people that serve with our children, serve with our youth, planting good seeds. Every time the youth come back from camp and and I hear their testimonies, it always just causes me to just kind of like in my spirit, I just go back to those altars. You know, there's places in our lives, there are altars. There's places where God just spoke. A word to us. He should be speaking to us all the time. But you know what I mean? Where you just, it's more like a, an encounter. Johanna, you had a Holy Ghost encounter. And my mind just goes back in my heart. I just see those encounters that I've had with God when I was at youth camp. And I'm not going to tell you how many years ago. I'd have to think real hard. But, you know, it was many, many years ago. But I still remember those encounters. It changes you forever. And God's speaking to all of us, isn't he? He wants all of us to have those times with him. Times of refreshing, but also those times of impartation. Where he puts something on the inside of us that gives us destiny. He puts something on the inside of us that causes us to step into his plan and his purpose for our life. Tonight as we're getting ready to, to speak on what I believe God put in my heart. I want to remind you. Many of you were here. And if you weren't we've referred to it. The marriage thing with, with Tony and Lisa. But there was a statement that was made there. That really is the basis for this entire message tonight. It was during the seminar. And they were talking about... Um, Communication and how communication can break down between a husband and wife. Anybody that's married ever experienced that? How about communication with a friend, with a mom and her kids? I mean, it's an, it's an art, the art of learning to communicate. And they gave a real vivid illustration of when they were first married that Tony always prided himself in being a multitasker. Any of you say, oh, I can multitask. I can, you know, I can watch TV. I can talk on the phone. I can do all these things all at once and give everybody my undivided attention. Not, we might think we can, but not the case. So they were newly married and Tony was actually reading a newspaper. And Lisa was trying to talk to him about something real serious, you know, real, real important. She wanted him to hear what she was saying. And uh, she kept saying, are you listening to me? And then he priding himself in the fact that, yeah, I can read the newspaper, I can watch TV, and I can hear you all at the same time. So he repeated back to her what she had said, feeling justified that, yeah, I heard what you said. And she got frustrated, and I loved what she said. She said to him, I need you to listen to me with your eyes. I need you to listen to me with your eyes. Have you ever been there? You're talking to somebody and they're looking all around. They might be on their phone texting. They may be checking things on Facebook. I am guilty of that. I like Facebook. I have to admit. I, I, you know, I like to keep up. I got some, I got like 30 nieces and nephews and now like, I don't know, 20 some great nieces and nephews. So all of the young ones, of course, they're on Facebook. So I go on there and look at all their pictures and try to remember all their names. It's a lot of them. And anyhow, so, you know, I, I like keeping up on, on lots of it is my family members. So many times pastor will be talking to me. I'll take out my phone and he's like, uh. I'm talking to you. Oh, I know I hear you. But we all do that. 
If we do that to one another, do you know in this day and age it's easy to do it to God? Have you ever done this? I was thinking about it the other day. Listen, I'd be listening to a CD, be looking at something on the internet, be reading my Bible, and then say, Lord, speak to me. Got three or four different things going on at one time. Do you think God deserves our undivided attention? People have realized, I mean, corporations have realized, movie theaters have realized that people are distracted. It's hard to get people to focus on one thing. You go to a movie now, it's kind of funny. They put up, they used to put up on there, turn off your cell phone. So now they still have that up there. But now a little voice comes on and says something like this. No talking, no texting. And it goes to this little bright screen in a dark movie theater is distracting. And then it says, if you get an emergency call, step out into the hall. You can tell I've gone to a few movies. Step out in the hallway. Otherwise... It can wait. And then they say something like this, isn't it? We, something about, you know who you are, and so do we. <laughs> and we will ask you to leave. I'm thinking about that. Some of you might be texting right now. They think, well, I can listen. I got to check, man. I might have an important email. I got to order a pizza. Make sure it's done before church is out. You know, whatever. If movie theaters even have gotten a hold of that, no texting, no talking, it's distracting. We demand that you give us your full attention on the big screen. Don't be bothering somebody around you. If movie theaters are doing that, how much more should we give God our undivided attention? Do you think God deserves for us to listen to him right. with our eyes? That's right. That's right. Not just our ears. Are you looking at him when he's talking to you? I believe we know the answer to that. He deserves to have our full attention. Let's look over at the word of God here in Hebrews chapter 12. Familiar passages of scripture. But I want you tonight as we look at these. Let your eyes feast upon the word of God. Behold what he is saying to us tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Always cleaning up after my husband. He left a bulletin up here. No. (laughs) No, no, no. It wasn't his. Probably fell out of my Bible. Forgive me, Lord. That was mine. All right. Don't be lying on the man of God. It's an old bulletin. I think it fell out of my Bible. Anyhow, we better read the word. What do you say? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We'll just read verse 1. I want to read it out of the New King James. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now we've read this passage of scripture many times, but I want to emphasize some things. First of all, we have to know 
that we are in a race. And our Christian race that we are in, it is not a hundred yard dash. It's not run as fast as you can for 10 minutes and then quit. This Christian race that we are in is a marathon. Anybody in here ever ran any marathons? Yep, I know we got one brother over here. You have? Whoa, good for you. Anyhow, we got a couple of brave souls that have run a marathon. It requires training. It requires discipline to run any kind of a race, but to particularly a marathon because a marathon is about what? It's about endurance. It's not about how fast you start in the beginning. It's about pacing yourself so you'll be there at the finish line. It requires getting rid of some weights and some hindrances. Have you ever watched a race on TV? Perhaps the Olympics. Have you ever seen somebody that's preparing to run in an Olympic marathon or some sort of a race? And they come out on the track and they've got on a heavy wool coat. They got on cowboy boots. They got on a cowboy hat. They got on gloves. They got on a scarf. And they're like, I'm ready for the race. No, nobody steps up to a race dressed like that. They come out in, a, in modern clothes, but they're light. Tennis shoes are light. Man, some of these runner's shoes you pick up, they're light as a feather. Why? The faster they can go, the lighter they are. That's how our Christian race is to be run. Light and easy. Not encumbered with weights and all of these hindrances. Another important thing about running a race is you got to stay focused. You have to stay focused on a goal, on your target, on the finish line. Come here, Justin. We got a few youth in here, so we need an illustrated sermon. All right, now, Justin, if you're running in a race and you've got people out here, is this is Justin or Dustin? Dustin, I'm sorry. <laughs> Dustin. You've got people out here that are yelling at you from the stands. Hey, Dustin, dude, how you doing? You've got your besties over there. Woo, you're looking good. You're styling. And you're running. And your goal is over there on the other side. Okay, I want you to run, but I want you to look out there and wave at people. Run and wave at people. What's going to happen? Woo! <laughs> good job, Dustin. If he's waving to the cheering crowd, if he's listening even to some distractions out there of people saying, you're going to lose, you're a loser, you can't run very fast, you got dumb looking shoes, whatever it is, and he gets distracted and starts looking over there, what happened to him? He's running this way, he might be hearing the Lord over here saying, there's your goal, there's your destiny, but if he's taking his eye off of the goal, he's going to run into some hindrances. He's going to run into some obstacles, whatever we're looking at. See, he's listening to things over here that are distracting him and keeping him from getting to his goal. Now, let's look on down here. Verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. 
despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What are we supposed to be looking at? That's kind of weak. Who are we supposed to be looking at? Jesus. There you go. Jesus. And who is he? He's the author and he's the finisher of our faith. He who hath begun a good work in us. We got born again because of our faith in him and the work that he has done. So that work began. He's the author. But for us. To finish our course and to run our race. We're going to have to keep our eye on him. He's not just the beginner. He's not just the author of a plan for our life. He's the finisher. And we have to keep our eyes up on him. We have to listen with the eyes of our, fa- our ears of our heart. But we have to also listen to him with our eyes. Keeping our eyes up on him. The first part of that verse in the Amplified, just the first line, and I'll just tell it to you. It says, looking away from all that will distract unto Jesus. Looking away from all that will distract. See, Dustin was running over here. And even sometimes some distractions is not like they're necessarily ungodly things, but they're a distraction off of what God has planned for you. We can't be listening to the voices out here. We can't be pulled away from our destiny. We got to look unto him or we're going to bump into those hindrances. Listen to that verse in the message. I really like this. Hebrews chapter 12 in the message. Do you see... What this means, all these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. Now listen to how it says this. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. Study how he did it. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew why he came. Jesus knew his purpose. And he never lost sight of it. The Bible says that he endured the cross. He despised the shame of it, but he endured the cross because he knew what the final outcome was going to be. It was going to be redemption for you and for me. When he hung on that cross, he looked down the corridors of time and he saw your face, Robin, and your face, Chris, and your face, Helen. He saw us. And so he, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him. There wasn't any joy in him hanging on that cross, those nails being driven into his hands, but the joy was a finished work. The joy was knowing that he was our redeemer. The joy was knowing that he was buying mankind back from the clutches of the enemy. So because of that, he stayed focused. He stayed focused 
on the final outcome. And you and I can do the same thing. I heard this little acrostic thing on focused years ago. Actually, I think I heard it from Pastor Mark. Awesome. Focused. The word F. The letter F stands for focused. O. On. C. Christ. U. Unlimited. S. Supply. E. Every day. Did you get that? Focused on Christ. Unlimited. Supply. Every day. Anybody ever found out that it's easy to be distracted? It's easy to focus on the wrong thing. The lies of the enemy come to all of us. Symptoms attacked our body. And if there's pain in your body, pain in your arm, and it, I mean, it shoots down your arm, it's really easy to go, ow, my arm hurts and start focusing on the pain instead of focusing on the fact that the Bible says Jesus bore our sickness and our pain. And with his stripes, we are healed. Anyone ever been tempted of the enemy, ever been bombarded with your mistakes of the past, perhaps failures, and they come and they come and they come and they attack your mind. And the lies say, you need to focus on where you missed it. Oh, you missed it big time. You need to look back here at all the junk that you did and all the times that you messed up. You know, another thing about running a race, not only can we look over here and run into into hindrances, but you can't run a race looking behind you. You can't get very far if you're looking behind you. That's why the apostle Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind. There's not one person in here that has not done something that they regretted. We're human beings. It's not a license to sin. We don't need a license. We're going to sin. We're going to mess up without a license. By virtue of who we are. We're just human beings. We're not perfect. We're striving. We're pressing to be more like Jesus. But thank God for the blood. When we do mess it. We have a covenant. With a covenant keeping blood. We have 1 John 1 9. That if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just. To cleanse us from all. Unrighteousness. We don't have to live in the past. We don't have to live bound. By our mistakes. Forgetting those things. Which are behind. I think that's one of the biggest. Hindrances. This said here that we are to lay aside every weight, every sin that does so easily beset us. Thinking about where we've come up short. Thinking about that I should have, would have, could have, should have. All of that kind of stuff. It is a hindrance to your running, your race now. That's why he said, lay that aside And then where are you supposed to look? Lay that aside. But, you know, keep looking back there. Keep thinking about it. Keep dwelling on it. No. Lay it aside. And don't look back. Run your race today.
keep focused upon the Lord. Amen? Now I want to look at a biblical example. When you don't hear very many messages about this lady. But this lady had an opportunity to be overwhelmed by her circumstances. Or an opportunity to look to God and his redemption. The woman I'm talking about is Hagar. We heard lots of messages about Abraham and Sarah. They had a covenant with God. He promised them that their descendants were going to be like the sand on the seashore. That he was going to have an heir. But they were old and they had no kids. Just to put it bluntly, the tent probably hadn't seen any action in years. So Sarah decided she was going to help God out. We've been guilty of that too. God gives you a promise. God puts something on the inside of you. And then we start stirring around. How can I make that happen? What can I do to cause this to come to pass? If you weren't here this morning, you need to get both services. I was in the 9 and the 11. came out different. They're both powerful. But one of the characteristics of faith is rest. When you truly are believing God, you enter into a place of peace and a place of rest. Well, Sarah wasn't in that place. So she decided, we got to help God out. I'm old, you're old, there ain't nothing happening here. There's no kids on the horizon. So, of course, you probably know the story. She had a servant, a maidservant by the name of Hagar. And so she told Abraham, I want you to go into her and perhaps God will give you a seed through her. Now, I will say this most of the time, I'd say probably 99% of the time, men, it's a really good idea to listen to your wives. I ought to get an amen from the ladies. (laughs) But this was one of those 1% that Abraham shouldn't have listened to her, but he did. Keep, keep mama happy. If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. So he listened to her. We know the story. Hagar did conceive. She found out that she was pregnant. And you know, women, women will do. Women can be vicious. We'll just say that. So there started to be some little sparks between Hagar and Sarah. The moment she found out that she had conceived, this is my interpretation of it, my translation, she started rubbing it in Sarah's face. I'm pregnant, I'm having a baby, and you're not. Abraham's going to have a baby with me and not you. I mean, you can just imagine the harassment that was going on. So the Bible tells us that Sarah dealt with her harshly. I mean, she read her mail. She cleaned her clock and put her in her place to the degree that Hagar probably felt like she had to run for her life. So she ran. She ends up out in the desert. And we always read this story from Abraham and Sarah's side. But in reality, Hagar was sort of a victim. She had no recourse. She had no choice. She didn't ask for this. It was put upon her. She had no defense. She had no, she couldn't say, I don't like the way you're treating me. She was a slave. She was a maidservant. 
So let's pick up this story in Genesis chapter 6. We'll just highlight a couple of verses here. So she runs away from Sarah. She's out here in the desert, not knowing how she's going to survive or take care of her unborn child. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 7. Genesis 16. I don't know what I said, but it is chapter 16, verse 7. I think they have it up there. Now, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. Now, that right there, when I read that, I'm thinking, you know what? I believe there's people that can derive encouragement from that. She was in a bad situation, but God knew where she was. The angel of the Lord found her in the wilderness. And this just came to me. Even if you're in the depths of some sort of test and trial and you feel like your address is 666 Wilderness Drive. God knows where you're at. God has not forsaken you. God has not forgotten about you. This woman, she didn't know who she was in in the covenant. She didn't probably even know where she had a covenant. She was a servant. She'd been mistreated. She'd been harassed by Sarah. But God knew where she was. He found her in the wilderness. And he sent an angel to bring her an encouraging word. Perhaps you've been mistreated. There might be some single moms in here. There might be some teenagers in here or kids that you feel like you have been abandoned by your father. You may not even know who he is. He may not have ever been a part of your life. But God sees your situation. Your situation is not hidden before God. He knows exactly where you're at and exactly what you are going through. He's got angels watching over you. He had an angel watching over Hagar. And he sent that angel to minister an encouraging word to her. Now, we won't read the whole thing here, but over down in verse 8 through 12, the angel, God gave her a promise. Told her, you got to go back and submit yourself to Sarah. That might not have been what she wanted to hear, but that was God's plan. You got to humble yourself. You got to go back. You are with child. You're going to have a son. His name is Ishmael. We won't go into all there is about Ishmael. He was a son of the flesh. And let's just say that the Jewish people and Isaac's descendants are still dealing with Ishmael's descendants today. The Arabs are the descendants of Ishmael. Islam came out. Of that group of people. But the point here is this. God, even though there were mistakes made on Sarah's part, on Abraham's part, God still was watching over Hagar. And he wasn't going to let her be without help. But when I read this verse 13, it just did something to me. Oh, I just love how it says this. God shows up. He tells her you're going to have a son. He, she, he tells her what to name him. He d- does say he's going to be a wild man. That was an understatement. But you know, all these things. 
But then verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. She's never had an encounter with God. She'd seen Abraham out there talking to the stars and acting goofy, but she'd never had an encounter. Now she knows him. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. Woo! Anybody want to derive encouragement from that? You are the God who sees. He sees the desires of your heart. He sees the longing of your soul. You are the God who sees. But then it goes on. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Woo, I got a question for you. Have you seen The God who sees you. Millions of people in the world will agree to the fact. Oh yeah, I believe in God. I believe that he's an all almighty God or an almighty being or whatever they want to call him. Yeah, I believe that he knows all things. I believe he sees me. He knows what I'm doing. He might be going to swat me with a big fly swatter. He sees all of that stuff. Lots of people, millions of people would agree. God sees me. But Hagar had a revelation that would to God we'd all get. First she said, Oh, I see the God who sees me. She had a revelation and not only is he seeing me, I see him. I see him. He's looking down on my situation. But he's not just looking down from heaven and saying, Woo, yeah, you got a rough life. Girl, I don't know how you're going to pay your rent. Woo, man, you got all this trouble in your house. Some people think that the God's just looking down going, Whoa, you are a mess. You are really a mess. But there's a higher revelation. Not just sin. Not just seeing and hearing, oh, God's seeing me. How about us? Seeing him. Have you seen the God who sees you? Do you know he's greater than your need? Do you know he's moved with compassion? He's full of mercy. He's disposed to show kindness. And goodness. It's not a one way revelation. Oh yeah. God sees me. The most important part of it. Do you see him? Do you see him? Do you know. Who he is. He's not a God that works evil in our life. He's not a God that puts sickness and disease on us to teach us something. He's not a God that brings horrible things into our life. He's a good God. Have you seen the God who sees you? Do you know that he's good? Do you know 
He's your Savior. Do you know? He's your deliverer. He's your healer. He's your prince of peace. He's your redeemer. He's your protector. He's your provider. He's your high tower. He's my place of refuge. He's my all in all. He is the all sufficient one. He is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have seen the God who sees me and he is all that I need. Woo! I have faith in the God who has seen me. Hallelujah. Do you have any needs in your life tonight? You got any areas that you've been looking at the problem? Focusing in on the symptoms. Focusing in on lack. Hearing the lies. You know, when you're in the midst of something, it's real easy to have the problem get way bigger. Whoa, this is huge. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my kids. Oh, God. How's this ever going to change? And all of a sudden, the mountain gets huge. And God gets real little. Have you seen? How big God is? Have you got a revelation of your redemptive rights in Him? That He is our healer. He is our provider. He is our Prince of Peace. I was talking about youth camp earlier. There was another time we were in a, a youth rally in some church. And for all of you that don't know it, I was the... CA president, Christ ambassadors, <laughs> kudos to me. But anyhow, so I'd taken this group of youth. We'd gone to this meeting. I think it was in Oklahoma city. It was a big deal. Lots of people there, thousands of people there. These people were leading worship and I had my hands lifted up and all of a sudden it was like, I felt like I was shrinking. It was the strangest thing. I felt like I was just going littler and littler and God was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And on the inside of me, I heard, I am bigger than anything you'll ever face. Don't be overwhelmed with the things that come in life. I'm huge. And I heard this on the inside of me. Let me get big in you. It was an altar. It was a moment where I was overwhelmed. God, you're big. And you know, we say that, but it's not a religious cliche. God is bigger than any problem. God is bigger than any disease. God is bigger than any financial lack. God is bigger. Than any rebellious child. God is bigger than anything and everything. The Bible says he is the most high God. You don't get any higher than the most high. The most high God. The creator of the universe. He 
that created all things. He that made our bodies. He created our bodies. If there's a part in our body that's not functioning, don't you think the maker, the creator, can give you a new body part? Cause that one that's broken to work. He's big. He's unlimited. Hallelujah. He's immeasurable. Oh, our God. Have you seen the God who sees you? Are you listening to him with your eyes? We need to listen with our heart, but we need to listen with our eyes. We need to stay focused on him. Looking into his wonderful face. I've asked Pastor Tom and then the gang here if they could. I can always count on Pastor Tom. He's not as old as I am, but he knows the oldies. (laughs) What I want to do here in the close of this service. There's some people in here that need to refocus tonight. You need to get your eyes off of the problem. And you need to turn your attention to him. There's another old song. Why don't you all stand? That we used to sing. And as we begin to sing this one that they're going to lead us in. I want you to keep this in mind. Words to this other old song was shut in with God. In a secret place. There in his presence. Beholding. Everybody say, beholding his face. Gaining new power to run in the race. I long to be shut in with God. What we're going to do, the close of this service, is we are going to behold him. We're not going to look at the problem. We're not going to listen to lies. We're going to behold him. And you know, I think that as an act of faith, I think it's really good if we just come down to the front, as many of you that want to. We're not laying hands on people. If you've got some adjustments that you need to make, just refocusing, that's between you and God. You can kneel, you can stand. But we're going to sing this old song. And it's called, let me tell you the words. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Some more of you, come on down here. We're not going to, it's, it's just an act of saying, Lord, I'm going to look unto you and you alone. I'm going to turn my attention. I'm going to focus fully upon you. I'm not going to listen to the lies. One of those lines in there says, And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Sometimes it's not that we've gotten in sin or we're doing anything wrong, but we're just being pulled on by the things of this world, demanding all of our time, perhaps our job, demanding all of our time, all of our attention. And we've forgotten to spend time with Him. So let's go ahead and let's sing this. Oh, they have the-